Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts to receive the blessing of your word for us today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Palm Passion Sunday, a day when we're instructed to read pages and pages of scripture. Thank you for participating in that with us today. It's arguably the most important story of our faith life. But I've found we're a lot more comfortable talking about the Christmas story or the miracle stories or the parables of Jesus' ministry. But when it comes to the crucifixion, people can feel a little cringe. We know that this story has been used to create a lot of historical divisions. Our Christian scriptures are a complex collection of stories. We read them to give us insights about God and about the mind of Jesus. We read scripture to find the path to our salvation. The stories and advice have been collected over many generations, and because of that, they can be read in many different ways. Distinguished professor and biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann describes it this way. He says the Hebrew scriptures could be read as a struggle between two versions of God's covenant. On the one hand, we have God declaring to God's people, I will be your God so you can be a blessing. And we read the stories of God's people bringing blessings in miracles and healings, resurrections and redemption from slavery, peacemaking and the preferential option for the poor. But there's a second version of God's covenant that's equally strong in the scriptures when God says, I will be your God if you do this and if you believe certain principles. These are the laws and ordinances regarding worship and holiness and pages of instruction for sanctification and purity, which draws people closer to God. There are instructions for the social order and how to behave in society. But Professor Brueggemann goes on to say that by the life and witness of Jesus, the so wins. God is our God so that we may be a blessing. So I want to show you how we can see this when we focus on the key people that we meet in the crucifixion story. The first verse we read, and you can follow along in your, in your little leaflets if you like. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. From the previous chapter, we know that this assembly is a group of people, most likely men, who included the chief priests and officers of the temple in Jerusalem, some elders, and the temple police. Did you catch that? The temple in Jerusalem had a temple police. The religious structure of the day is focused so intently on following the right laws and ordinances that they need a temple police. And to resolve their differences with Jesus, they need even more law and order, and so they take him to the Roman figurehead for law and order, Pontius Pilate. And Pilate, in turn, consults with Herod, the local governor. And Herod has the respect of the Romans and the Jews. But he's got a reputation as someone who punishes those who oppose him, 
while those who take his side are rewarded with favors and honors. Well, from our own experience in history, we know that when law and order become allied with religion, the social order can get off track. Barbara Brown Taylor puts it this way. She tells us to beware of those who claim to know the mind of God and are prepared to use force, if necessary, to make others conform. Beware of those who cannot tell God's will from their own. Temple police are always a bad sign. When chaplains start wearing guns and hanging out at the sheriff's office, watch out. Someone is about to have no king but Caesar. Well, this assembly is angry about the crowds that Jesus has been attracting. They don't like that he doesn't conform to their authority. But look what they end up doing. They go to Pilate and they exchange Jesus, this humble, itinerant preacher, for Barabbas. Someone who'd actually had led an insurrection and was in prison for murder. So Barabbas is the first person Jesus saves. The Romans have an extra cross ready because Barabbas will no longer be using it. And Jesus says nothing in his defense at this sham of a trial, this kangaroo court. He bears mute witness to their arguments and decisions. He has no people to call in his defense because everyone who loved him fled in terror or denied knowing him. Jesus is sent to be executed. He walks to the place of the skull, and by now there are plenty of people on the streets of Jerusalem, and Simon of Cyrene is enlisted to carry the cross, a metaphor that Jesus himself had used. From Luke 9:23, he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The religious authorities and Roman governors hold our contempt for gaining the world and forfeiting themselves. When Jesus spurns the offer of a royal crown, he shoulders the shame of a criminal's cross. When Jesus does speak on the Via Dolorosa, it's to the women who are wailing and crying along the way. The traditional stations of the cross tell us that Jesus offered comfort to these women, but I find the words in the Gospel of Luke read more like a warning, a foreshadowing of more trouble to come. If they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? Jesus asked them. And the first followers of Jesus did suffer for many more years, and Christian persecution can still be found even today. The real evil to cry over, Jesus says, is greed and jealousy and the ambition of those who condemned him. But the words of Jesus that really shine out as the blessing that Walter Brueggemann is talking about are the things he said from the cross. He's lifted up onto the cross and crucified, and he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. This is the passion of the Christ, that despite the agony of his suffering, his thoughts are for the perpetrators who placed him there, Gentile and Jew alike. 
Who can follow in the footsteps of Jesus when he can demonstrate forgiveness and compassion like that? Could we ask the people of Ukraine to say this prayer about soldiers who slaughter their children? Could we ask the people of Russia to pray this prayer for their war-mongering leaders? What happens when we ask for forgiveness for our enemies? From the cross, Jesus shows us the way to victory, not only of light over darkness and life over death, but the victory of love over hate, the victory of meaning over mystery. We are blessed to be a blessing when we can show this passion for others. This is what peacemaking means. As Christians, Jesus has given us this example of compassion for the ones who hurt us. And this example is our salvation. All the things that are negative, corrosive, or damaging to human existence can be made whole and well by the power of God. That is the definition of salvation, the power of God renewing and healing and rebuilding and recreating relationships. There's nothing outside the redemptive power of God. There's one more example of salvation in the crucifixion story, this short conversation that Jesus has with the others who are being crucified with him, the criminals. Unlike Simon of Cyrene, we don't know their names, we don't know what they did, but one of them says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a profession of faith. And notice what happens. Jesus didn't take away his pain. He didn't heal his body. He didn't smite the scoffers. But it's this man who walked into heaven the same hour as Jesus simply by believing. A naked, dying man, uneven to fold, unable to fold his hands to pray. He is granted eternal life. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So what about us? The people of All Saints in Vernon, people everywhere who might be listening online, today is the day for us to join our voice and ask, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today is the day to know that we will be with Jesus in paradise. We can live each day with this shining assurance of our salvation. We are blessed to be a blessing. This gift of life that we experience is ours for a while, and we must use it well in the service of more life. And that leads to the joy of our salvation. Doing what leads to joy also includes doing hard things that help us feel whole. Things like forgiving making peace, living in gratitude, living in service, living to the end of our days. We are blessed to own our truth and not settle for a second-hand life of faith. We are blessed to do the work to rise again in spite of our struggle or grief or the failures of any age. We are blessed to recognize that life is only truly found when everything is about love. To the people of the Ukraine, I declare, God has not forsaken you. The world will not forsake you. To the people of Russia, I declare, Jesus promises forgiveness. It is never too late to turn towards peace and wholeness. 
to those suffering today from COVID or from any forms of affliction, Jesus promises, today you will be with me in paradise. Do not lose hope. And to God's name be all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.